Um, you know, I think we've started off with a pretty loaded question here. Uh, because as you rightfully noted, it is very difficult to predict and it's hard to speculate on where this is going. We're already almost halfway through the year and there's still so many unknowns out there. So how do you keep going when you just don't know what happens next? I'm Tanya Bharadwaj and this is the Niam Podcast. Today we talk about the next normal for startup funding with Carlos Camacho. Carlos leads Investments Development Funnel, one of Southeast Asia's largest private investment platforms. Let's go back to listening to what he thinks is going on. In terms of the investment landscape, um, it's actually quite interesting because we, we've seen a bit of a reversal in general sentiment. Um, you know, usually we have the private side investors who are the eternal optimists and the, the public investors who are, are more pessimistic. Um, but we've come to a point where these have kind of been reversed um, and the private market investors have suddenly gone into hiding. Uh, and I think part of that is firstly that, you know, all the risk factors haven't been properly priced into the public markets. Um, but when it comes to the private side, uh, it has a lot to do with how a bunch of the investors in venture capital look at companies, um, which isn't so much in terms of, you know, which ones will build the most valuable businesses in the long run, but rather which ones will get an uplift in, the, in their valuation uh, at the next round, um, you know, which isn't really an approach I, I personally agree with, but, but that's the reality. And it's because of this that it's become really difficult to price early stage private companies because no one really knows who's going to invest and uh, in those next rounds and, and at what price. Um, and ironically enough, uh, the requirements for companies to get a higher valuation have gone up. You know, things like having a lower churn or higher revenues or, or have higher average customer value. Um, but it's all happening in an environment when all of this is expected to go down. Um, so, so, you know, ultimately it's increasingly putting pressure on, on the really early stage investors because now, um, not only do they have to bet on if a, a company or a business will actually work, but now they also have to be concerned about if there's going to be later stage financing for it and what that fine and, and will that financing be structured in a way that, that they don't lose their ownership. Um, you know, it's inevitable that a lot of recaps will happen with later stage investors. Um, and that some of these later stage investors will recap companies with, with I hate to use this term, but, but predatory terms, including things like liquidation preferences. Um, so basically, it's going to be hard for early stage investors to maintain ownership until a liquidity event, as, as most just, you know, frankly, won't have enough dry power to, to persevere till then. So until we know what a Series A or B looks like in 2021 and what access to late stage capital will look like, uh, most private investors in, in the early stages uh, will likely remain very cautious. But, but uh, you know, I, all that being said, um, we are still seeing some healthy interest in certain industries that are better positioned to succeed. Well, the uncertainty apart, you know, this is also a pandemic that's meant that a lucky few startups are gaining a, quite a bit of traction, you know, remote working apps, online ed tech or digital healthcare businesses. What are some of the under the radar picks uh, that you've seen garnering interest amidst this lockdown? Yeah, I know I've painted a pretty bleak picture to, uh, to begin with, but obviously I do think there are opportunities to be had um, as well. And, you know, they say the best startups are always forged in times of trouble. Um, and, and in general, I think, you know, what we'll be seeing is, is a great separation in startups where there are those that are 
are best prepared and, and built for this new world versus those that are going to get caught, uh, you know, with their pants down. Um, and when talking about specific sectors that will likely benefit from this current environment, I think the most obvious ones are some of the ones that you mentioned, things like telehealth and, and remote services. Um, you know, everyone's been talking about Zoom, which has had over 20x growth in its daily active users from around you know, 10 million DAUs in December of last year to over 200 million uh, over a couple of months. Um, but other sectors that are gaining some attention, uh, you also mentioned things like online education, uh, but we're also seeing uh, robotic process automation uh, getting increasingly popular, as well as things like online multiplayer gaming. Um, you know, video game usage actually increased by 75% during peak hours. Um, and some games are absolutely crushing it. Um, there's one called Call of Duty Warzone by Activision, uh, which launched in early March and reached uh, 15 million players over just three days. Um, we've also been seeing consumer VR having a bit of a resurrection, um, with the Oculus Quest selling over a million units and, and the high-end Valve Index selling out in, in a matter of minutes. Um, but I think really the major theme here um, are the companies that are adapting to or enabling this increasingly virtual world are looking like the next generation of winners. And even though this COVID situation won't last forever, I do think that the changes to the, the ways we work and, and learn and live will be permanent. Um, you know, as we're moving to this virtual world out of uh, a necessity right now, um, more capital is pumped into building of these virtual companies, which means people can ultimately build better virtual things and, and companies. Um, and then the people and businesses will then be more ready and mature enough to adopt them, um, which I think will lead to kind of a self-perpetuating cycle of, of virtuality. Um, so, so, you know, basically infrastructure is invested in and built during times of crisis, which leads to a fundamental change in human behavior, which eventually leads to a new normal. An example that um, I like to use that I've been uh, talking with some people about um, is that during the 14th century, when the bubonic plague or, or the Black Death, as some people call it, uh, spread through Europe, killed almost uh, 50 million people, which was huge. It was, it was like 60% of the population at the time uh, of Europe. Um, but because of this extreme tragedy, the value of the working class actually grew as the need for labor across all industries spiked. So this coupled with the fact that land ownership and inheritance became, you know, uh, unsurprisingly became increasingly complicated, uh, it actually led to the end of feudalism in Europe. And some even say that it led to the birth of the Italian Renaissance, uh, which marked the transition, you know, from those medieval times to, to modernity. So I do believe we'll see some parallels here in terms of how our modern infrastructure is evolving and how a new normal will follow. You're basically telling us that look, the next round is going to be harder to raise than it was a year ago. Is it time then, Carlos, for startups to sort of rethink their fundraising approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's time for startups to rethink their, their fundraising approaches, just like they've probably had to rethink, you know, a bunch of other parts of their businesses as well. Um, you know, with all the uncertainty, I'm sure many are wondering when uh, it's going to be safe to raise again. Um, so I've talked to uh, quite a few companies recently who told me, you know, that they could either cut enough costs to get prof profitable and possibly even grow, um, albeit very slowly, um, or cut a lot less and then need to raise money again in, in 
within the next you know, 12 to 18 months. And I honestly um, actually pushed for those companies to, to cut more um, just because, you know, one of these options is, is in their control and the other isn't. Um, so, so, you know, with that all being said, um, not, you know, I realized that not all startups uh, have that luxury and either need to raise capital or we're already in the middle of raising around when COVID hit. Um, and in that case, I do believe using platforms like Funnel can be really valuable um, as we try to be as founder of founder friendly as possible uh, and data driven and tech enabled as well um, in our approach. So not only do we kind of take the burden of fundraising partly off their hands and allow founders to focus on operating their businesses, especially, you know, during these, these hectic times, uh, but we also give them the opportunity to reach our network of over 13,000 investors um, during a time when networking is just really, really difficult. Uh, and not only that, our matching engine can actually really help companies find the right investors for them, whether it's uh, financial or strategic or both. Um, and lastly, I would say that if companies are fortunate enough to get some real traction in their fundraise, um, it might be prudent for them to, to actually raise more than they initially planned for, just as a buffer. Without uh, meaning to sound too alarmist, uh, Carlos, should we expect a, a sort of capital winter for startups? Yeah, without <laughs> um, trying to sound too alarmist, um, we are seeing a bit of a, of a VC freeze. Um, you know, many family offices who have been major players in the private capital markets uh, here in Asia are finding themselves uh, rebalancing their portfolios. Um, as many, you know, found that they were actually overexposed to venture before this all hit. Um, on the fund side, um, many are holding out and saving firepower to help their existing portfolio companies to kind of survive the crisis. Um, and generally, you know, it, it would be difficult to convince an investor to, to park millions of dollars with you without even having met face to face. So that's, that's going to be a challenge. Um, but that isn't to say that all investors uh, aren't deploying. Um, you just have to look up Deal Street Asia or TechCrunch to know that investors are still finding value in the private markets. Uh, we've seen it ourselves on, on our platform. Um, so there's this kind of, uh, I, I call it kind of a recency effect from the 2008 crash where people remember that, you know, those who made the most money during that time invested while others were fearful. So that, that may be carrying over a bit. Um, but we also do know that the market will come back uh, because a lot of VC firms recently raised uh, large rounds, um, even out here in Asia. So there's a bunch of dry powder out there and people are not going to just, you know, back out of their LP commitments all of a sudden. Um, but also, you know, looking back at some of the previous uh, somewhat doomsday scenarios like the dot-com buster, the Great Recession or even 9-11, um, in those instances, it took, you know, somewhere between 12 to 24 months for kind of funding in the space to start back up in earnest. So there is still some precedent for a recovery in VC. So how are you folks preparing for the months to come? Yeah, so I guess one of the things we're doing um, is kind of focusing our search on uh, the new generation of companies that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, for example, I mentioned how education is becoming more virtual. You know, the lockdowns around the world have led to a need for companies to provide tools, not only to the schools, um, but also to uh, a lot of parents who have had to get more involved in their children's learning from home. 
Um, similarly, more enterprises have taken this lockdown period as an opportunity to uh, engage their employees through online training. So we're, we're looking at companies in that space as well. Um, we've also seen the F&B sector hit particularly hard by the lockdowns, um, as many of the kind of uh, restaurants and other establishments uh, have been struggling to cover their overheads given the dramatic uh, reduction in business. So, so this has led us to believe in that space that uh, asset light models um, like cloud kitchen managers uh, might be well positioned to power through the crisis and be more prominent uh, after the crisis is over. But um, beyond looking uh, for different kinds of companies, uh, we've also had to think of other ways to engage our user base, um, both from the startup and investor sides. Uh, we've been putting on more webinars, um, whether it be some of our company's founders kind of giving a virtual presentation or you know, putting on more educational or thematic ones. And I think the company as a whole uh, has really embraced this, this working from home lifestyle and have found ways to adapt and stay productive while also staying together. Um, whether that's through kind of online social events or our daily stand-ups, I, I think it's really encouraged us to put our heads together and collaborate uh, across the teams uh, to think of new ideas to help the business grow, which is something I really appreciate. Super. My last question then, and that would be, you know, what would your advice be for startups trying to keep their head above water, especially the early stage runs? Right. Um, well, you know, firstly, as, as I mentioned um, earlier, uh, they would have to rethink their fundraising approaches for all the reasons I, I had already stated. Um, but secondly, I'd advise companies to cut enough costs so that they have uh, perpetually around 12 months of runway going forward, even after this is all over. Um, you know, just going back to the good old adage of, of cash is king. Um, it may have to include, you know, laying people off, which you know, I know is extremely difficult, um, but I think founders really have to prove, as I said earlier, a, a realistic path to profitability to their shareholders and potential investors. Um, thirdly, uh, it may be time uh, to reimagine the world in which they operate and adapt the business models as needed. Um, the world that they started their company in may not be the same as it is, you know, now or, or will be post-COVID. Um, as I mentioned earlier, so just preparing for this new environment, um, you know, you just have to look at the travel and hospitality industries as, a, as an example. Um, you know, there are going to be many, many drastic and, and permanent changes happening to even, you know, these really, really traditional businesses. Um, I also think, you know, it's time for companies to start embracing remote work um, like we have. Um, you know, it used to be that having a huge, impressive office with all these amenities was good for optics, especially, you know, when they were fundraising. Uh, but now with this whole situation, I think businesses or, or teams have started to realize that work that they once thought may not be possible to do remotely, um, now that they've been forced to do so, they, they realize it can be done. Um, and I think founders can also now consider um, you know, hiring remotely from other countries to potentially save in wage costs um, and finding uh, new talent. Um, but that being said, uh, I do believe that companies have to be proactive in creating a positive virtual office experience and not let the community aspect or company culture die. Um, so that's something that uh, I can proudly say we've, we've been doing at, at Funnel. Um, but lastly, uh, I'd say founders may want to look into government support schemes in their respective countries that, that may help tide them over for the next couple of months. 
Um, we do have a bunch of resources on our site as well for, for early stage startups. So I'd encourage uh, them to check those out. Um, but yeah, just stay positive and, and forward thinking and agile and, and we'll get out of this stronger. Amen to that. Thanks so much, Carlos. Wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. It was great chatting with you as well.